Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 and 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. We are going to look at a big picture of, of who God is, why he made our world. And my prayer is that what we see in this passage would, would motivate us and comfort us. So let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, I thank you so much. Uh, for my friends here, my brothers and sisters at King's Cross. I pray, God, that as we walk through uh, Genesis 1, uh, that you would speak to us powerfully, that you would speak through us or to us uh, mightily, um, that we would just walk away with a bigger and grander view of who you are and thereby trusting you more, uh, uh, enjoying you more, delighting in you more. Uh, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so look, my wife, Alyssa, and I, we're very different. We're very different, right? Uh, I don't know why that's funny, but uh, we're very different. Uh, one of the ways that we're different is she loves things organized. She loves things organized in the categories that are practical, categories that make sense. And it's not that I don't like that. It's just I don't think that way. I just don't naturally think that way. Like, I'm always in my head. I'm always thinking. I'm always ruminating. I'm always musing, right? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a five on the Enneagram. I'm a high input on StrengthsFinder, if those things mean anything to you. And so when I put, when I put things away in our home, right, like, like when, I, when I go to put something in its place, uh, I'm not thinking, where does this belong? I'm not thinking, is there some rhyme or reason to where I'm, I'm putting this, right? Uh, that's how you end up with, uh, like, string cheese in the utensil drawer, right? Like, don't ask me how that happened. Uh, that just is what happens in our home. I don't, I don't think in these categories. But Alyssa, she is always thinking in those categories. It comes naturally to her. And because of her, we've got a label machine, right? Because of her, we've got this bottomless drawer of Post-its. And I've grown over time to appreciate her natural gift in this area. It actually helps make our space more livable. Uh, the kids know it's easier to find the toys that they want to play with if they previously put them, or if they put them in their designated spots, I've learned that it's easier to find my keys if you always put them in their designated spot. And I know this is like basic life skills 101 for most of you, but before I got married, like I needed help, right? I didn't think in those categories. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, that impulse for order and practicality is sort of this micro snapshot of God's desire for beauty and order in his domain, which is all of creation. 
And so as we've seen in Genesis so far, just in the first few verses, at the beginning of time, God looked out over this formless and this empty space that was filled with what it describes as chaos. And, and God saw the potential for a world that was full of life and full of vitality and beauty and order. And just like my wife labors to create a space where our family can thrive, God created the world and our universe in a way where humanity could grow and flourish and thrive. And so as we work through the rest of Genesis 1 now, we're going to see God's work in creation. And how it was marked by his deep love and nurturing care to see his creatures thrive. So we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1 today. Uh, and then next week, we're actually going to zoom in specifically on the sixth day. And so we're going to read about the sixth day uh, this afternoon. But then we're going to revisit it next week because on the sixth day, man, there's so much that's important there for how we understand humanity. And what it means to be uniquely a man and a woman in our distinct roles in, in the home and in the world. Before we do, before we get into chapter one, I do want to reference uh, for a second the nature of the creation days. All right? Now, I, I told you guys before, everyone wants to know, like, like are, we, are we really supposed to believe that the world was created in six 24-hour days? You need to know that Genesis 1 was not written to settle that question. Hopefully, we've established that so far in the last couple of weeks. Genesis 1 is, 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 not, uh, is not about that, right? Like, the temptation for our modern minds is to look at Genesis, the, the, the book about our origin, and, and look at it as a science book. But it's not that. It's a salvation book. It's a story of Israel and, and where they came from and who their God is. And so it's less concerned about the how and when of creation, and it's more focused on the who and the why. That said, I know everyone's been like asking me and, you know, like, oh, what are we going to do about the creation days in Genesis? And so for that reason, I do think it's worth mentioning uh, and, and going through how we are to look at these creation days. Now, it's worth, uh, it's worth uh, uh, saying that throughout the centuries, we see Bible-trusting Christians who believe that the Scriptures, the Holy Bible, is inspired without error and, ho error and wholly true, uh, that different Christians who have held that same conservative view of the Scriptures have differed on how we interpret the six days of creation. How many of you were aware of that? How many of you were aware that faithful Christians disagree on details about creation? You have a number of key theologians who believe that the Bible teaches that creation took place in 24 literal hour solar days. Uh, and you have a number of other key theologians of similar stature who believe that the six days of, or of, uh, of creation uh, do not represent 24 literal solar days. And so that fact alone should cause anyone who treats having a particular view on this as sort of the litmus text, test of orthodoxy, treating it as like the litmus test of, of whether you really care about the Bible or not. Uh, anybody who treats the particular view of creation as that sort of test uh, should hit pause, should pump the brakes a little bit, calm down a little bit, uh, knowing that there are, are good, godly, thoughtful people all across the spectrum on this. Now, there are at least five primary interpretations of creation accounts in Genesis among Bible-believing Christians that I think you should know about. The first is what we call young earth creationism. 
young earth creationism. In this view, uh, it teaches that God created the whole universe, including Adam and Eve, in 24-hour solar days. And so seeking to be faithful to the biblical text, this view affirms that the universe is less than 10,000 years old. And so through this view, you interpret scientific data through the lens of inspired scripture, taking God's teaching about the, the date and timing of creation, uh, and you use that as the lens through which you, you, you look at naturalistic scientific explanations of these things. The second view is what we call old earth creationism. Old earth creationism teaches that, that the word days in Genesis 1, in the original Hebrew, the, those, the, the word for days uh, are actually uh, analogies of God's work days. And so they're not literal work days for God, but they're figurative work days for God. And they're told as six days to set a pattern for human rhythms of work and rest that are meant to be good for our human flourishing that we're supposed to get things done in six days and then set aside a seventh for worship and rest. And that this, uh, uh, this, this position teaches that the word day represents periods of time, like long periods of time, eons, where God supernaturally formed and filled the world for humans to live, uh, work, love, and worship. The third view is what we call historic creationism. Right? So we looked at old earth creationism, we looked at young earth creationism, and now this is historic creationism. And this teaches that the word used for beginning uh, in Genesis 1, uh, it, it points out that, that, that word, like in Genesis 1-1 when it says in the beginning, but that Hebrew word defines the starting point for everything else that follows. That's the point of verse 1. It establishes that the God who created everything is the God who created humanity as his image bearers, who created the promised land where, where, where he'll live with them. Uh, and then what God created in, 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 in verse 1 existed for an undefined period of time. Could be a matter of minutes, could be billions of years. After which God, after that point, after verse 1 going into verse 2, then in verse 2, God begins preparing that uninhabitable chaos uh, for those who would bear his image for humanity. And so this view will often teach that the preparation of the earth and the creation and the first humans, that the creation of those things happen in six days, uh, but it leaves open the possibility that the earth is really old, billions of years old, but we have a young humanity, old earth. Uh, the fourth view is called the literary framework cre uh, creationism uh, position. And in this view, the six days are not meant to be taken literally, but literarily. That it's intended to be read as this sort of figurative framework that explains creation by order of topic and genre, not by sequential time order. And so the six days are metaphorical, uh, uh, pointing out that the first three days God formed creation, and then the next th three days he, he filled creation. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, and then the fifth uh, and last popular view is what we call evolutionary creationism. Now, this is somewhat of a novel view, but this view teach that, teaches that, that God sovereignly and purposefully planned all the natural processes of evolution to do his creative work in the universe, including life. 
that from beginning to end, from an exploding singularity to the laws of physics to the first swamp amoeba that would evolve into all life on earth, the triune God of the Bible was orchestrating all of it. And so this, this, this view still maintains a historic Adam and Eve, and, but it's sort of like a hybrid that embraces both, both naturalism from science, observable science, uh, and supernaturalism. Now, just to be clear, I think each of these views has their weaknesses. I think each of these views have their strengths, too. This topic has been debated by smart Christians who uphold the inerrancy of the Bible. And so we should hold a view, we each should hold a view that is faithful to the scripture while extending honor and goodwill and respect to those who might hold other views, right? There's what we call closed-handed issues and open-handed issues in the scriptures. Closed-handed issues are those issues that all of God's people need to, be, need to agree on in order to be considered a Christian in any meaningful, biblical, and historic sense of that word. And so these are beliefs like that God is the creator and sustainer, that he exists as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Spirit, that humanity is created in his image, but that that image was broken when we fell into sin, and that the solution is the perfect life, atoning death, uh, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, that Jesus did ascend to heaven, and he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. Like, all of those are closed-handed issues that Christians must believe. There are also some open-handed issues, open-handed issues that are secondary or tertiary, that we can discuss and debate and dialogue about, but we don't have to necessarily divide over these issues. Now, my view on the creation days is a mix of the historic uh, framework and literary framework. You can disagree and be wrong, um, and that's fine. Just kidding. Uh, but you, that's fine, but like we can, we can, hopefully we can dialogue about it, right? And one thing our culture is, is gosh awful about is dialoguing across the aisle and in nuanced spaces. And I feel like the one group that should be able to model this best is the group of people who share hope and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who had all the power in the universe, yet set it aside to turn his enemies into friends and carry our sin on his back on the cross. Christians of all people should be the most uh, approachable, the most gracious, the most kind, and respectful. And so with that said, let's go now into the rest of uh, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. All right, here's my first point for you. Um, you'll be happy to know that I only have two points for this sermon, and that's because we're going through huge chunks of text, all right? But the first point is this, that creation points to God's glory. Creation, as we read it in Genesis 1, points to God's glory. Verses 3 through 5 of Genesis 1 say this. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning, one day. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of what we just read. The name for God in Genesis 1 is the Hebrew word Elohim. It's the name used only for God as the creator. 
He's the uncreated one, the one who made all things. And when God spoke, creation obeyed him. That's why when Jesus shows up years later, and there's this raging storm, and he tells this storm to cease, to be still, the sea listens. It recognizes his voice. It's the same voice, and the reason it recognizes his voice is because it's the same voice of God who created the heavens and the earth. So he tells the storm, Jesus tells that storm to be still, and it listens, it, o- it obeys. And when his, his followers who are present, when they ask, who is this guy? That even, even, even the wind and the sea obey him. The answer is the creator. That's who he is. That is his voice. The passage continues in Genesis 1, verse 6. It says, then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. So he's talking about separating the the, the sea and the sky. Then the verse 7, it says, and it was so. Verse 8, God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth produce vegetation. Seed-bearing plants and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Now look, this creation account might be so ubiquitous to you that when we, we read these things about the plants and vegetation and everything, it might seem like boring to you unless you're Eric Donahue. You're like, oh, garden, vegetation. But I want you to see, I want you to see that the whole passage as we're reading it is just overflowing with the glory of God. It's pointing us to the glory of God. See, ultimately, when the word of God came forth, everything came into existence. The void, this empty, chaotic void, heard him. The elements obeyed him. And then creation ordered itself accordingly. Bible scholar Derek Kidner says, this reality that God spoke the world into reality leaves no room for notions of a universe that is self-existent or a universe that is struggled for, or a universe that is random, or a universe that is a divine emanation. The most probable explanation could be that this came from the mind of a purposeful God. Look, we know what it's like to try and order things. Mothers and fathers attempt to order their households. Generals attempt to order a battlefield. But we get frustrated because of these limits that we run into. But God orders creation. 
and creation listens. He speaks, and it comes into being. He says, hey, water, get over here. Land, why don't you go over there? And it, and it shifts in response to the sound of his voice. And so we see the glory of God displayed in his creative power. We see the glory of God displayed in his, in his ordering power. And it will help you see his glory magnified even more if you take into consideration how the original hearers would have received Genesis 1. Remember, God is inspiring this scripture to be written through the pen of Moses. And Moses is trying to teach the people, he's trying to record for them their history of who their God is. And when Israel heard this, one of the things that would immediately leap off the page is how creation, this creation account, contradicted the creation mythologies of the pagan nations that they were now surrounded by after they fled Egypt. And not only this creation account in Genesis not only contradicted all the other creation accounts, it's almost like, like the way it's written, it's almost like a flex against these other creation accounts. The surrounding nations, they had all these stories and myths about their gods of light and darkness uh, going to war with each other, and then creation spills out from this war. They had these myths and legends of the gods of the sky and the sea, of the gods of the, the earth and the plants. But in Genesis 1, each day of creation by Elohim, by God, in Genesis 1, each day of creation attacks one of the gods of the pagan religions of their day. It's a way of saying, hey, those gods are no gods at all. So on day one, the gods of light and darkness dismissed. On day two, the gods of the sky and the sea are dismissed. On day three, the gods of the earth and vegetation are dismissed. On day four, the gods of the sun, moon, and stars in the cosmos are dismissed. On day five, it's made clear that animals are not divine, they're creatures. On day six, it's made clear that humans are not divine, they're creatures made in the image of the one true God. From the account in Genesis, what we see is that biblical cosmology replaces and comes up against the pagan mythologies. Biblical reality replaces the old stories and myths that they heard from their pagan captors in Egypt. So let's read on now to the rest of Genesis. I want you to see the remarkable correspondence between what we just read in the first three days and how it corresponds to the next three. If you actually look at the chapter quickly, if you read it quickly, you'll, you'll notice how it's sort of perfectly divided. The first three days describe the forming of the world, and the next three days describe the filling of the world. Like, what did God create on the first day? Light. Let there be light, and then there was light. Now look what happens three days later on the fourth day. Verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. 
God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night as well as the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth, to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning. This was the fourth day. Now, do you remember what God created on the second day? On the, on, on the second day, he created water and the expanse. He called it sky, water and sky. Now, what happens three days later on the fifth day? We read about this in verse 20 to 23. In verse 20, it says that God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And so God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Now, what about the third day? Do you remember what he created on the third day? The land and the plants, the vegetation. Now, what happens three days later on the sixth day? Let's read verse 24 to the end here. On the sixth day, uh, verse 24, God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that crawl on the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, this is what we're going to look into more next week, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. So this is still the sixth, sixth day. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you and for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. You want to, so the first three days, he forms, forms the world. The next three days, he fills what he had previously formed. You want to see something cool about this pattern? It gets even cooler. Like, like if you look at verse 2 of Genesis 1, verse 2 said, now the earth was what? Formless? And what? Empty. Formless and, and, and empty. And so these two sets of days, the first three days and the next three days, these two different sets of days are a direct repeat and remedy of that opening statement. The earth's 
formlessness was remedied in creation days one through three. The earth's emptiness was remedied in creation days four through six. Man, when I first saw this, my mind was blown. Like, who knew that Genesis 1 could be so much fun, right? I know that's what you're thinking right now. Look, if you're writing like a historical essay, you don't say things over and over again from different angles like what we're reading here. But you do if you're doing creative writing. You do if you're writing a poem or a song. See, Genesis 2 is going to retell this account of creation from a historical reporting perspective. But here, Genesis 1 is this poetic song with rhythmic repetition. God doesn't want us to obsess over and fight over the scientific details of this age versus that age, this many hours versus this many years. He just wants us to hear the song. He just wants us to hear the song. To be, to be moved by its beauty, to see his glory in the creation story. See, the creation count in Genesis 1, it points us to, in so many ways and in so many different angles, it points us to the glory of God. There's one more thing I want you to see. Number two, that creation points to God's goodness. We've talked about how creation And the way it's described in Genesis 1 points to the beauty and glory of God. But I want you to consider now how creation points to God's goodness, the goodness of his character. Did you notice the repetition of this phrase, God saw that it was what? Good. He saw that it was good. Good. And then again, he saw that it was good. He stepped back, he looks at it, and he saw that it was good. And then the very last verse that we just read, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Not just good, but very good. Now, what is happening here? What's happening is with each reference of God considering his creation good, what's happening is that God is delighting in his creation. He's he's enjoying it. That's what you say when you're enjoying something. This is good. I spent some time this week uh, in in Alaska roughing it with a bunch of pastors from our, our church planting network. And my friend James, who pastors a church in Anchorage, Radiant Church in Anchorage, uh, he's like as rough Alaskan man as it gets, right? Uh, I used to get mad about how there's this stereotype you hear from other states that they think men in California are all like wusses, and I'd be like, not all of them, right? But then I hung out with James in Alaska, and I'm like, I I get it, right? I I get why people say that. James fed us like bison burger, from this bison that he hunted and skinned, uh, and it was like his 12th bison or ever. His, he, he fed us bear sausage from like the third bear, black bear that he's, he's killed, and it was like fresh bear sausage. And man, dude, bear sausage is like a whole other level. It's a whole, like you so hard to find here. But like it is, if you ever get a chance, you just got to try some. Like you, you buy into this piece of sausage, and it's like the juices that come out 
are like five times the amount of the actual piece of sausage. It's like mind-blowing. Like as soon as it hits your tongue, you're like, oh, so good. That is so good. That's what you say when you find something delightful. That is so good. When you have a refreshing drink, so good. When you listen to an epic piece of music, that's so good. When you finish your your favorite series that you've been binging on streaming the last few days, and you're like, so good, certified fresh. When you get that last rep in in a workout, right? You're like, oh, that sucked, but so good, right? And what is God doing when he he says this? God, God has created a world and a community of creatures who can reflect his glory and praise him, finds their purpose in him. They emanate, the creatures and creation emanates the glory of God. You ever wonder why we find nature so moving? When you see a beautiful sunset, when you see a vast valley, when you see these majestic mountains, or just see the the leaves swaying in a forest, or just consider the the anatomy of of a horse or a giraffe, or just watch the ocean and hear the waves crash. We did this exercise up in Alaska where we just all kind of picked a, a, across this this uh, this plot of of land. Like we were all just like a quarter mile away from each other, and our goal is just to look out in nature and just soak it in, just to be still, to pray, to meditate, and just just soak it in. And and it dawned on me that. That like, you know, you know how like what they've got like white noise and green noise and pink noise, you heard of that, right? Like these different static types of noises to help you you focus. They're like, yeah, green noise, that's good for you to help you sleep. Brown noise, that's good when you're like focusing. Uh, and you're like, oh, that, that that feels that sounds so dumb. Like who does that? Um, so I do that when I'm studying. Uh, I turn on brown noise because it actually helps me focus. And it just dawned on me when I was standing out there on this this just no, no, like image of of man or or man-made creations, like insight. That man, just the sound of nature, the wind going through the leaves, the crashing waters, the faint flapping from the seagulls uh, over the glacier water. It's like, shh. I'm like, dude, that's brown noise. It is the. It's like, this is what we're made for, right? We're, we're made to, to thrive and flourish from this. It's almost like our bodies know. C.S. Lewis gets at this when he puts it this way. We're almost done here. But C.S. Lewis says, we don't just want to see beauty when we look at nature. We want something else which we can hardly put into words. We want to be united with the beauty that we see. We want to pass into it. We want to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. That's why in our legends, we have people, uh, we have people of the air and the earth and the water with, with, with gods and nymphs and elves. And what is he getting at? He, he's saying like, man, look, even if you don't believe in God, there's just something about nature that draws you in, that speaks and resonates to your soul. It's because nature is singing the song we were all meant to sing. 
that our creator loves us and he calls us good. Natural creation sings that song and it draws us in. But have you noticed that feeling is, of, of that feeling of just being in nature that, that gives you that feeling? That it, it, it's good, but it's just not enough. It's almost unsettling that you can't have this always. That's why the C.S. Lewis quote continues when he says, this is why the poets tell us such lovely falsehoods. They talk as if the west wind could really sweep into a home human soul, but it can't. And at present, we feel like we're on the outside of the world, but the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the beauty of the morning, but they don't make us fresh and beautiful. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. We feel cut off from something. The reason we feel cut off is because we long to sing the song of creation. We long to sing the song that our creator loves us and calls us good. But we, we humans, we know we're not good. Deep down in our souls, we know that we need one thing more than anything else. We know that we're not right with God and that we need to be made right. So no matter how good and polished we try to make ourselves, it just never seems to be enough. And when that happens, we'll go one of two ways. We'll either go the way of materialism, where you try to find your identity in other created things. Hey, if I have more of this, if I have more of that, then I'll feel better. But then you realize you don't. Or we'll go the way of fatalism, where you play down how beautiful and meaningful the world is. You talk yourself into believing that nothing really matters, that nothing's really important. And that doesn't work either because you just end up anxious and depressed. Sorry, someone's at our door. <laughs> Listen, there's a third way. There's a truer way, a better way, a more beautiful way. And that's to place your life in the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't look down on us with disgust, but he looked down to us with compassion. He saw our brokenness and he stepped in. He was undone so that we could be completed. He went to the cross so that he could die the death that you should have died. And if you believe, and if you believe along with Christians throughout the generations that in your place, Jesus died and rose. The Bible says God will look at you and see his righteousness instead of your unrighteousness. That he will see the righteousness of a son and say, you are good. I delight in you. Jesus is our hope. He's the voice that created the cosmos. He's the one that took what is formless and void and formed it and filled it. He's the one who gives us, through being reborn, the song of praise and a voice of praise so we can join in creation and saying, God made us and he calls us good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.